there's much there's much here. We need the Lord's help that we could understand exactly what's being said. Um, as Paul wrote these letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, there's a pattern that's through much of them. The first part of the book, the, the letter, would be the doctrin- doctrinal portion where he's telling us all that God has done for us. And uh, certainly that is the basis for everything that the church has. If we don't have the work of God in salvation, the work of God in uh, bringing us out of sin and changing our lives, in setting us in the family of God, in keeping us and indwelling us by His Spirit, then we're in vain today. The church is in vain. There's nothing to it. But the church is built on what God has done for us. And as Paul writes, and uh, all through the book, if, if we're going to think soberly and think rightly, we first have to recognize all that God has done for us. And since we live in a, a carnal flesh with a carnal mind and that that's enmity unto God, it's very easy to lose sight of what God's done for us and to forget the goodness that's been shown us uh, I, I thought today David said all the days of my life. You know, you think back even to the times when you were lost, when, when you had no mind towards God, no desire of God. You can look back even on those times and recognize how that God provided even in those days the goodness and the mercy of God. So Paul comes here to the end of this book and here's exhortations for the Christian, those that have experienced the goodness of God in this life, those that God has saved. He's giving us some direction, some help for our day-to-day life. Remembering this, and if if you'd think about this a time or two, I believe it'd be a help to you, that though the church is saved, safe, and secure in Jesus Christ, nothing can take that away from the people that are saved yet we're left here in enemy territory, if you'll have it, to live a life for the glory of the Savior that delivered us. So Paul says here in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. If you look back to chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So this is certainly, and, and joy is a great topic through the whole book of Philippians but to be able to rejoice in the Lord. And if you put yourself back in this day, uh, you know when Paul was in Philippi, you remember the Philippian jailer that was there. They arrested him, they beat him, they whipped him, and that was the mindset of the town of the Philippians. And here's a church in the midst of this hostile environment. And not just hostile, you know, we may get an ugly look or they may make fun of us, uh, in our country today, in this country they were arresting and and beating and and killing and taking the lives of these folks. And you look at the situation they were in and you say, well, there's not much to rejoice in there. And if you're not careful, that's where your mind will get caught up. Well, I, I just don't have much that I can rejoice in right now. But Paul says rejoice in the Lord. Uh, no matter what the situation 
that we find ourselves in in this world, the church is always able to rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord that was mindful of them in sin, the Lord that delivered them out of sin, the Lord that saved them from the wrath of God and from hell, and the Lord that gave them an eternal home in heaven forevermore. And uh, we've got that to look forward to. No matter what kind of shape I'm in physically or what trouble I'm facing in the flesh, there's always a rejoicing that can be had in the Lord. And I recognize that completely. Uh, but I believe there's more here to that as well. So let's look now. Let your moderation. So that word means appropriateness, modesty, or humility. Let this be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. I believe this ties together with rejoice. So rejoice and let your moderation, let your, uh, maybe you could say your contentment be known unto all men. That we are content, we have all that we need and all that we desire in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Hebrews 13 verse 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So, you know, uh, in the flesh, the flesh never satisfied, always wanting more, will never have enough. At no point will we ever have enough money, enough things, enough property, uh, enough whatever it is that, that you desire. You'll never have enough that you'll fully be satisfied and say, I don't want any more. But in the Lord Jesus, we can recognize this, that the Lord has provided for us what we need. The Lord's provided for us uh, what we require. And in the Lord and in what He's done for us, we can have contentment. Let it be without covetousness. Don't desire what the world has and everything that is in the world. That drives a man to misery and it drives a man to sorrow. But recognize this. God's give us what we've got. Let us be content with that and let us glory in the Lord knowing this, that in the midst of all of it, He will never leave nor forsake us. Now the devil says... When trouble comes, the devil says he's forgot about you. And that's why you're in this shape. The Lord has uh, left you. He's forsaken you. He's forgot about you. And that's why you're here. And you know, that thought was prevalent all through the Old Testament. It's prevalent today. That trouble, that sorrow, that hardship comes and God's forsaken us or we've done something and God's forsaken us. But you know, you look, and, and this is what we'd like to get to, to have a biblical mindset about trouble, about sorrow, about hardship, about these things that we go through. So he's saying rejoice. Remember Job? Job, a man that lost everything that he had. Job recognized that God was the one that took everything that he had. And you say, well, it was the devil that took it. And I say, okay, I'll agree with that. But the devil took it because God allowed him to take every bit of it. 
And God allowed the devil to attack. God allowed the devil to kill. Job lost everything he had. He recognized the Lord was the one behind it. And he said, uh, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. He is given and he's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So that even though, and, and I promise, Job's flesh was in sorrow. His heart was broken. He even said, I, I hate, I despise, woe to the day that I was even born into this world for the trouble that I've endured. And yet Job had joy in the Lord Jesus. So let your moderation be known unto all men. If there's one thing that the world ought to know about the church, it's that we're satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not seeking after the world. The world is not our top priority. Uh, and, and you know, I, I know in this day, in the early church, a lot of those folks sold everything they had and they lived in a, a type of commune, you could say, and they suffered for that. And I realize we work. We have to have money. We're unable to live if we don't. But when that becomes my top priority, when that comes in front of God, when having this world is before God, I'm no longer being moderate. I'm no longer being content with what the Lord would say. So if the world knows anything about the church, it ought to be that we are satisfied and content in the Lord and in what He's provided us and our desire is not out in this world. Remember the Bible says of Abraham, he was a sojourner, he was a pilgrim, he dwelled in tents. Uh, if he had a desire to city, he could have went back to where he come from, but he testified that it was not in this world that his treasure was in. Moses could have been called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have been the prince in Egypt and had everything that he wanted, but Moses testified that he had rather suffer affliction than to have all of the pleasures and all of the treasures that was down in Egypt. And so the church ought to have that testimony. We're not seeking after worldliness, but our desire rests in God Almighty. He's ever with us and we'll rejoice in Him no matter what comes towards us. In Him we can rejoice for the Lord is at hand. So you could say this maybe in a couple different ways and both of them be right. The Lord's at hand. The time is short. The Lord's coming to get us. We're not going to be here that much longer. And if we're suffering, uh, I believe as Paul was uh, in prison, even as he wrote this letter and the day of his execution was drawing near. The day that they were going to take his life was coming. His days were few, but recognize this, the Lord was going to come and get him. And the church one day, though the church may uh, be driven into the wilderness, Elijah was driven into the wilderness, though they be despised and cast even into the dungeon, Jeremiah was cast into the dungeon and into the pit, though they be martyred and slew as Stephen was and many of the apostles were, they recognized this, that the Lord was at hand, that as Stephen's being stoned, he could look to heaven and say, I see Jesus 
standing at the Father's right hand. You know what he was doing? He was coming to receive Stephen and the suffering and the trouble and the pain was soon to be over with. He was going to be delivered. And not delivered for a day or two, but into everlasting rest with the Lord Jesus Christ. But this also, as he said in Hebrews, that the Lord would never leave nor forsake, that the Lord is with us. The Lord is at hand. And it's unto Him that we look and that we trust. So in verse number 6, be careful for nothing. Now, if, if you're not careful, you'll misinterpret that. It doesn't mean, careful here doesn't mean cautious. Maybe we would say, you be careful. Be careful on those steps, they're slick. Be careful driving in, there might be a slick spot. That means to be cautious, to be aware. Now, the Word of God is not telling me to be cautious, not to be cautious or to be aware. We ought to be careful. We ought to be careful what we do lines up with the Word of God. I ought to be careful that I'm not in the carnal mind thinking and reasoning and making decisions, but that I'm seeking God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's will in all things. I ought to be careful that I don't act out in the flesh. All of those things are true. But what the Word means here is anxious or worry. So be anxious... Be worryful about nothing. So you think about this now. How, how can that be? How can you live without worry? There's going to have to be some recognition here, and it's, it's outside of the carnal mind. He's going to say in verse 7, the peace of God that passeth all understanding. It's beyond our mind the peace that we can have in God. But there's going to have to be recognition of a couple things. In James chapter number 1, verse number 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, Wanting nothing. So James says when you fall into these trials, into these places of testing, into these places of hardship, we're not talking about a a tempting to evil, but we're talking about a trying place. You know, that could be anything from natural trouble. Uh, It could be all manner of things. We'll We'll just say it that way. If you're careful and get too specific, people will zero in on something and miss the rest of the glories that the Scripture has. So in these places of trial, count it as joy. How can we count a place of trial as joy? Remember in the book of Acts, uh, as they took Peter and John and they, they beat them and they told them no longer to speak the word, the Bible says that they went back rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. How in the world could a man be found in a place like that and be happy about it? How can you be cast down to a place of hardship and find joy? Because James says this, the trying of your faith is working patience. It's accomplishing patience. God is, as a father, as a parent does a child, 
you're teaching, you're instructing as they grow. God is teaching and instructing His children that they might grow. And the trying of our faith is working patience, that word cheerful endurance. God is teaching His children how to cheerfully endure and grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Letting patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire. Now think about this. It's God's will that those that He saves from the day of their salvation till the day they step out of this world be continually growing and becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the times in my life, the times that I look and see that I've grew the most, it's been times that I've been in dark places. It's been times of trial. It's like they're going to liken it in, in the book of Peter to gold. Do you know how you purify gold? You put it in the fire. You heat it and you melt it and you pull the dross out of it. And so God and His children, He's desiring that we grow and look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. His will is that, that I think more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ and less and less like the world. He's changing me. He's working in me. He's molding me so that my life and my behavior and my outlook on things, you know, it's no surprise when things fly off that our world is tore all to pieces and tore to shreds. About the, They've got no hope. They've got no place to look to. But the church that belongs to God, we don't have to be anxious. We recognize this that even through the trouble, God is teaching us patience that we might grow. The Lord, think about this. The Lord's never, at one point, for one second, He's never forgot any of His children. Ever. If He has then the, the Word of God where He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that was a lie. He's never forsaken any of His children. That is the devil that's lying. So let's look now in the book of Romans, chapter number 8. Now here we've got people that they're in bad shape. They're suffering. Uh, not just the world, but... Even we that have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're groaning within ourselves, waiting for the adoption and redemption of our body. I realize this, that we've got it pretty well now, and I may not be thinking about going to heaven. But when the time of suffering comes, I'll be ready to go to heaven. I'll be ready to escape that trouble. That's where these folks were. And so in verse 26, Romans 8 and 26, they're praying and in a lot of ways they don't even know what to pray for. And I believe if you've been in this way long enough, you've been to a place, maybe more than one place in your life, that your situation has fallen in around you and you don't even know or have the words 
to express what you need to to God. Maybe you've been put in such uh, such a tough place that you have no idea what to go for. You know, maybe if this is what I want, well, that's what I'm going to pray for. I've been in some places that I didn't know what I wanted, that I didn't know what would be best. And you know what happens in those times? I can pray unto God in the Spirit maketh intercession. The Spirit knows the will of God. You know what I ought to desire? God, work your will here. Because I know this. I know that I'm yours. I know you said you would never forsake. I know your desire is that I grow. So help me to come to your will and help me to grow and be benefited by this trouble. So in verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So God is working all things to the good of His people. God is working all things to the growth of His people. He's working all things to the benefit of his people. Though Job is going to suffer and Job is going to endure hardship, he's going to suffer in the flesh, he's going to suffer in the mind with the loss of his children and the loss of his goods, he's going to suffer uh, uh, emotionally with his wife telling him to curse God and die, his soul is going to suffer because he feels like God's forsaken him, yet in the end of his trial, he's better off than he was before. And with God Almighty a father that is in control of all things, we can rest assured that our latter end is going to be better than it was in the beginning. He's working these things. Even evil? Oh, preacher, God has no control over evil. God uses evil for His purpose. Remember when Joseph's brethren, when they hated him and they despised him, and they said, we'll sell him to these Ishmaelites, let them take him away, and we'll never have to see him no more. Well, after Joseph's brought up down in Egypt, he tells his brothers, look, you meant this for evil. Their desire and their intention, they were not thinking one good thing. They were desiring evil to come on Joseph. But Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant this for good. God has brought me to the throne that your lives might be saved. Amen. Joseph, and I realize, when he's down in the prison, when he's loaded up with the Ishmaelites headed down to Egypt, there'd be a lot of places to say, God, why in the world have you got me here? Why am I down here in this prison? What am I doing here? Why am I suffering and enduring like this? But you know at the end of the trial, Joseph's lifted up to the throne of Egypt and he can look back and say, look, I may not have understood it at the time, but do you realize that God meant this from the very beginning for my good? And not just for Joseph's, but for his brother's good as well, that they could be saved. So God was working even in evil. And in Jesus' day, they through wicked hands took the Lord and Savior and crucified Him. There was nothing right about any of that. He was an innocent man. They gave Him a mock trial. They had trumped up charges that were made up. 
they falsely accused him and lied on him. And they took an innocent man and they beat him, slapped to death. And they nailed him to a cross and he gave his life. And every bit of it was wickedness. But you know what it was? It was the plan of God. God had that to happen through their wicked hands that salvation might come and that we might be benefited. And you know, we've got to benefit a hindsight in these stories. We can see Joseph resurrected back up to the throne of Egypt. We can see the Lord Jesus Christ resurrected up to the throne of heaven and all power being given unto him. I tell you the Lord what he done for them. He'll do for us as well in the Lord Jesus and my heart ought to grow to a place that I trust him with it. His word promises me that all things work together for good. But you've got to believe that nothing is out of his control. Everything is in God's control. And if that be true, if that is true, then the place I'm at right now, God's brought me here. Listen to this scripture in in Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll come back to Romans in just a minute. In Deuteronomy chapter number 8, verse number 1. All the commandments which I command thee, observe and do that you may live and multiply, go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Sounds like trials to me. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. God made them hungry. God brought them to a place of hunger. Why did He do that? He fed them with manna. Neither did thy fathers know that He might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. So we think of chastening a lot of times and we think of whippings and certainly that's part of it. We teach and instruct our children by discipline and by directing them that way. But you know, they don't all have to learn by whipping either. But sometimes we put them in a situation that they might experience and that they might grow in their understanding. You see, that's what the Lord was doing to Israel in the wilderness that entire time. He was growing them through trials and tribulations. Why, preacher, we got to a place we were starving to death and God was teaching them that to look to Him for all things. God was growing them. And train up as a child. That's that's what that word means. So God was training them up as children to be mindful and thoughtful and to recognize that God was in control of all things. Back in Romans 8, now I'm not going to dig into these. Some of these words are, they're they're bad words in people's minds. 
but just think about what I'm about to read. All things work together for good. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called. Whom he called, them he justified. Whom he justified, them he glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So God Almighty here, God's done this work of salvation for us. It wasn't us seeking God, but God sought us. It wasn't us paying for sins, but God paid for our sins. It wasn't us praying unto God first, but it was God drawing us first. God brought us to this place of salvation. He justified us and declared us righteous. He glorified us and made us sons of God and dwelled by the Spirit. And if God's for us, who's going to be against us? Is the devil going to stop God tomorrow? There's no way. I tell you, there's peace here. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely... Give us all things. You know what the devil said to Eve? He said, the Lord don't want you to have the best fruit in the garden. He's withheld that from you to hurt you. You see how the devil does that to us as well? He says, look at what God's keeping from you. God don't want you to be blessed. God don't want you to enjoy life. God's wanting you to suffer. But God's Word says that if He delivered His Son, if God the Father was willing to afflict His Son with all of the sufferings that He gave, would He not with Him, with the sacrifice of His Son, freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified. So, recognizing that God is in control, that God is growing us, that God is helping us along in this world, be careful for nothing. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, take no thought for raiment. Take no thought of food. And He says, look at the sparrows. They're not laying up. You know what they done today? They got up and they went looking for something to eat. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord made sure that they had something they could pick up somewhere. Whether it be a bird feeder that you laid out or it be something that's fell to the ground or something that was buried by a squirrel, the Lord has ensured that they've had something to eat today and survive on. Look at the lily of the valley. Uh, They don't toll, they don't spin, they're not laboring, and yet they grow up and they're beautiful. Where does that come from? The Lord gave them that beauty. Now look at you. Be anxious. Be uh, worried for nothing. But trusting God's hand, that He's sovereign, that God's in control, that we're here by God's direction. Listen, this is beautiful. But, be careful for nothing, but. So don't be anxious, but be this way. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So prayer, that's worship is what that word means. Supplication is to make a request. 
with thanksgiving. So you see, as we come to God, our prayers and our requests are to be mingled up here. We've got worship to God for all that He's done. We've got thankfulness and gratefulness to God for His goodness that He's provided and recognition of His hand in our life. Make our requests known. Lay them out before God. Don't be anxious about it. Don't worry about it day by day by day. But you go to by faith to God and lay it out before Him and trust your heavenly Father that He hears you and that He'll give you what's right. I may ask for something. I believe my children do. They ask for things that's not good for them. You think we ever do that? Because we only see right here, I only see tonight, before bed, I don't want to brush my teeth for two minutes because that's inconvenient. That's all that they're seeing. You know what we're seeing? Well, you can, but in a little while they're going to be drilling in there and you're really not going to like that. So you're going to do what you don't like today. That's a very elementary example. But you apply that to us today. We get put in a place, we're enduring something, and we say, God, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to have to do this. I don't want to brush my teeth tonight. And the Lord says, listen, I've got plans for you. I'm growing you. I'm looking down the road. You just trust me and don't worry about it. Trust my sovereign hand knowing that I love you, that I care for you, you come and you cast your care upon me, you make your request known unto me, and and God doesn't say don't pray about it. No, God says come lay it out before me. Make your request known. But Lord, have mercy. Don't worry yourself sick over it because God Almighty is in control. And I say this, God could turn things. I don't care what it is or where we're at. God in a moment, in a split second, He took the people of Israel as they were looking at the Red Sea and Pharaoh was coming to cut their throats. God in a moment opened the sea up. In a moment He could open the sea up. We've just got to trust His sovereign hand in all things. With prayer, with worship, with supplication. I tell you what I come as. I come as a beggar unto God. I'm I'm making a request. I can't make a demand. You ever ever noticed how off color that is when a youngin makes a demand? to a parent, to a teacher. It ain't right. It don't sound right. Well, we've got no place to make a demand to our Heavenly Father. Because no matter how much the 8-year-old or the 13-year-old or the 17-year-old, they don't matter. They all think they know more than you. They think they know better than you know. They think, well, I'm going to do this because this... It's what's best for me. But they are lacking in the wisdom that the mom and dad has. They may never believe it, but they're lacking in it. You know, as adults, I recognize that. But as a teenager, I did not recognize that. I knew what was best. 
I knew what I needed. And as a saved individual, it's very easy for me to question God and say, God, I demand you change this. I know better than you do. No, it's with prayer. Worship and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. Come to God and lay it out. I think of the Scripture. I think of it often. That as Hezekiah was delivered that letter from the enemy, they said, we're going to come and we're going to run you over. Your army's not going to stand a chance. Your city's not going to make it. We're going to lay waste to you just like we have the rest of this world and it's going to be nothing to me. And Hezekiah took that letter and he brought it to the temple and he laid it out before the Lord and he said, this is what I've got. This is where I'm at. Now, I can't do anything about this. I can't get this fixed. I can't solve this problem. But Lord, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust you to handle this. I'm going to trust your hand because you love me, because we're your people, because you're working good for me. I'm going to trust your hand with this. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding. When God's people are at peace in the midst of the fire, that's something that catches the attention of the world that's around them. You know why? Because that doesn't make good sense. How can they be so happy? How can they, how can they think that way? I tell you, this peace of God, not peace of Joseph, not peace of Zion, but peace of that originates in God. Knowing, knowing all that we've looked at already, knowing God's power, knowing God's strength, knowing God's control over every situation, I can have peace and rest in the Father's hand knowing that I'm His dear child and He means to do the best for me. You know what I can do? I am... I am error prone and I can lead them astray. I can tell them to do something that would hurt them down the road. Our Heavenly Father never does that. His word, His advice, His leadership is always on point. He's always right. I'm the one that is always wrong. I'm the one that is always astray. I'm the one that's always out of line. So I'm to come to the Word of God. I'm to trust God. I'm to not be anxious, but let the peace of God rule in my heart. <clears throat> Shall keep. That word means to watch in advance. You might say it's like the guard at the prison. He's on guard. He's keeping the prisoners in their place as they're supposed to be. He's ensuring they <clears throat> don't escape. Well, you see, that's what the peace of God does. I, I, I believe the devil is continually firing 
those fiery darts at our hearts. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get doubt to creep in. He's trying to get me to disbelieve God. He's trying to get me to turn from the direction of God. Well, preacher, the Word of God says this, but I don't think that's right. I think I'm going to be better off if I go the other way. I tell you, the devil's throwing those fiery darts all the time, but if we'll just trust the Father, if we'll trust His Word, if we'll trust His direction, and let the peace of God guard our hearts, we can be at peace knowing our Father knows what's best. Amen. I tell you, it quenched the fiery darts of the devil. It quenched the, the fear and the dread and the anxiety that wells up in our hearts towards God Almighty. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. So the heart, the word means the, the center of the thoughts and feelings. The mind is the intellect. God's keeping the, the whole of man. See what this training is doing? It's training me to not think like the world thinks. It's training me to not be doom and gloom over everything. It's training me to not be down and out all of the time, but to have a heart and a mind that is in trust of God Almighty, trusting His sovereignty and His provision for our life. You know, if we're going to have good health the rest of our life, the Lord's going to be the one to give it. But you know, if I'm going to be afflicted for the rest of my days, it's going to be the Lord that gives it. It's going to be the Lord that allows me to be afflicted. So no matter what, I ought to say, God, give me grace and give me strength and you lead me as your will sees fit and let me be joyful. Let me be glad. Let me rejoice in you in the midst of all of the trouble. And let me trust your hand in the midst of all of it. So one more place. One more place. And this, I read this yesterday. This is a wonderful verse. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, my dove. Now, this is the husband speaking to the wife. This is, this is God. This is Christ speaking to His people. That art in the clefts of the rock. You know where the church is? They're hid in the cleft of the rock. They're with the Lord Jesus Christ in the secret places of the stairs. Let me see thy countenance. Let me hear thy voice. You know what the Lord is saying? Come to me. Peter says it this way. I believe it's saying the same thing, just not as visual. Cast all your care upon Him. Come to the Lord. Let Him hear your fear. Let Him hear your anxiety. Let Him hear that that's got you troubled. Lay that out before Him and trust Him with it. James is going to go on to say uh, right there in chapter 1 where we were reading, let him ask of God. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Let me come to God believing Him and believing His Word and let me not waver on that. The Lord says, let me see your countenance. Let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice and thy countenance is comely. I read that and I think, how in the world could God say that to me? 
He can't say that to me. But me in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are lovely and comely to Him. We are, as one of the prophets said, I believe, Isaiah, we are the apple of His eye. We're the, the peace of, that God loves. We're those that God cares for. Not just cares for today, but through all eternity. And God is going to lead us through this life and He's going to lead us home to heaven. Let me trust Him from this day until the day that I get there. Let me trust Him in everything and believe that He's going to provide as we need. And let me grow as His desire would be for me to grow. In, in Proverbs, and this is the last place, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, but the prayer of the upright is the pleasure of the Lord. You know what he's looking for? Bring that before him. Lay it out to him and trust his hand as a father. If you're evil and your child can ask an egg and you know better than to give a scorpion or to give a rock to that young'un. If you're evil and know how to give good gifts, doesn't your father know how to give what's good? Doesn't your father know how to provide? You know what he says in Luke? Doesn't your father know how to give the Spirit to them that ask? You know, that's what we really need. The leadership and the strength and the grace of God in everything. That's all that's on our heart. I'm thankful for the Word of God.